Well, let me say good morning, first of all, to those of you who are watching online or by computer or on your iPhone or whatever, and those of you who are in the room. Uh, I know some of you are already asking, you may not know, so what am I doing in this contraption here? Well, some husbands and wives butt heads. <laughs> Teresa and I butt shoulders and I lost. That's kind of what happened. But no, about two weeks ago, uh, through just being athletic and playing ball all through the years and weightlifting and all of that, I did a number on my shoulders. I had shoulder surgery about two weeks ago. And uh, so far, God's been so good, I've had really no pain, and PT's going well, but I'll be in this for a while, so hopefully you won't focus on that too much. But before we get started today, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, and uh, would encourage you at home, if you've got the wherewithal to do that, with maybe bread and grape juice or whatever, to, to do that with us as well. But I want to begin, first of all, by just going back and calling our attention. You know, we've had s several mass shootings in our nation, uh, right here in Atlanta, as you know. And it really has grieved uh, both our African-American community and also our Asian-American community. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, we, we have a very diverse church. That's one of the pride and joy that we have in our church. We value everybody. We believe in amazing grace for every race. And, and we value every person because every person is valued by God. In fact, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. Jesus died for everybody. Doesn't matter what color your skin is, what ethnicity, what nationality, Jesus died for you. And so I just want to take a moment and I want to pray for the victims and for the families of those who have lost loved ones. But I also want to say this, when you read God's Word, whether it's mass shootings or terroristic bombings or racism, hate speech, whatever it may be, it really shouldn't surprise us because we live in a fallen world. We, we all know now, it doesn't take you long as you're growing up to realize whether it's the physical creation, poisonous snakes, spiders that can kill, um, whether it's pollution in the air. We all realize something's wrong. Something's not right. Well, you're right. It wasn't that way in the beginning, but sin messed everything up. This is a jacked up world, and we're jacked up because of sin. But we just want to be sensitive again to, to those victims of these shootings and, 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 and particularly those that may be racially motivated. We, we really want to reach out and say, it just reminds us again that God loves all of us and we love everybody regardless of where you come from or what your nationality is. So would you just join me in prayer right now? And we, we, just, we just want to pray for the victims and their families. And we want to pray that through this our nation would repent. And that we would come back to Christ. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I, Lord, it just grieves us. I don't ever want us to get used to, well, another shooting. It's never just another shooting. Daughters and sons and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers are killed. And, Lord, we can't even count the number of tears that have been shed just in our country alone over the last several weeks over these shootings. And so we pray for the victims' families. Father, I pray that the ones that don't know Christ, that through this they would come to know Christ. And, and those that do, that you would comfort them with the comfort that only you can give and that only you can bring. We lift them up to you today. We pray for our nation. God, our church, our churches need revival desperately. And our nation needs repentance. We need you, Lord. We're turning our back on you more every day. We're turning away from the only one who can answer our questions heal our hurts, and solve our problems. So, Lord, you take what the devil meant for evil, and you turn it into good. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
We're going to take the Lord's Supper today, and, and I don't know, those of you who are watching today, I don't know how you do it in the church or the denomination where you grew up in, but, but at our church, we're not a church that does it every week, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do it every week. That's not at all a problem for us, and, and if, you, if your church does it every week, that's great. But at the same time, we don't want it to become something that's rote, something that, oh, okay, we just kind of do this on a regular basis. There's nothing in Scripture that says how often you're to do it. It's just you are to do it, and we're told how to do it, why we do it, when we do it. So years and years ago, when I first, started becoming, when I first became a pastor, it, the idea just hit me that when we do the Lord's Supper, we're not going to do it like a lot of churches do, have a regular service, kind of tack it on at the end. We're going to focus on the supper. And there's a reason why I do that. And if you brought a copy of God's Word, if you don't, we're going to put it up on the screen. But I want you to look in, the, in, in a book called 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, about four or five, uh, three, about two or three books over from the Gospels. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me tell you what I'm going to do today. And I would encourage you to do this. Uh, I'm a speed reader, and, and for, I've, I've taken several speed reading courses because I was in seminary, and I felt like that's going to really help me, and it has. But there's one thing I don't speed read. And that's the Bible. Well, one exception. When I'm in Leviticus, I speed read. Other Leviticus, I don't speed read. And I take my time. So let me tell you what I did uh, uh, before today. The passage I'm going to read with you, I literally put everything in slow motion. And I just begin to read very slowly what I'm, what I'm going to read to you. And I just said, Lord, <clears throat> whether it's a word or a phrase, speak to my heart. It is amazing how many things you will see in Scripture if you will just take your time and slow down. I'm going to share with you some things. I preached this passage how many times in my ministry? I don't know. But I saw things even this morning I'd never seen before, never thought about it. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and if you don't have a word with you, it's up on the screen. So in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, I'm just going to read it from the screen so we'll all read it together. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Let me just stop right there. Paul knew Peter. We know that. And Paul knew James, the brother of Jesus. And I'm sure both Peter and James shared with Paul so many things that happened, so many things they experienced, so many things they saw when they walked with Jesus. And you know they told him about that night when they took the Lord's Supper. And yet, the really, 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 really incredible thing is, Jesus, for some reason, said, you know, what happened that night, Paul, is such a big deal to me. It's so important. I want to give you a firsthand account. I don't want you to hear it from Peter. I don't want you to hear it from James. I don't want you to hear it from my mother. I don't want you to hear it from any other disciples that you've known. This is such a big deal. This is so important. I'm going to give you a blow-by-blow blow account of exactly what happened that night. So if you don't think what we're doing is a big deal, think about that. Jesus said, I'm going to stop everything I'm doing. I've got a universe to run, but I want your attention. Let me tell you what happened that night. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night, he was betrayed. Now go back to that night. You're Jesus. You weren't just betrayed. You were denied. 
You were deserted. You were discarded. You pour your life into 12 men. Three years. They've never met anybody like you. They realize they've never been loved by anybody like you. They realize you gave them the privilege that no one else in the history of the planet would ever have. They got to spend three years with the Son of God. You never asked one thing from them, not one. All you did was pour into their life. And the one time, the one time, just the one time, you needed them most, they disappeared. So don't run over that. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. See, too often we kind of glance, we kind of blow over Scripture. For example, when you go back to the Gospels and you read about how Jesus died, the Gospel writers put it this simple. They, they say, and this is the way they'll say it. You know, he was beaten, he was flogged, and then they cast lots for his clothes. And then they just simply say, he was crucified. If you're not careful, you kind of blow over that till you go back and you study crucifixion. And you realize it is still to this day the most horrific way. If you want to really kill somebody, if you really want to make them suffer, crucify them the way Jesus was crucified. It took days for people to die. And it was sheer, unbelievable agony. We just kind of blow over that. So don't blow over that when it says, on the night he was betrayed. On the night that Judas stabbed him in the back. On the night that Peter said, I don't know that dude. I don't clue who that guy is. On the night when Bartholomew, Thaddeus, James, and John ran like scalded dogs as far as they could get from him. On the night he was betrayed. And then you look at the next two words. He took bread. If you and I knew we were about to be betrayed, if you and I knew that we were about to have the people that we love the most and poured our lives into, not just turn our back on us, but stab us in the back, we wouldn't be taking bread. We'd be taking names. We'd be taking prisoners. We'd be thinking, okay, how can I get you back? How can I make this even? You're going to pay for what you did. Jesus took bread. And then it says this, and when he had given thanks, wait a minute, you're about to be betrayed, I know, denied, deserted, discarded like a used up piece of bread, I know, but he gave thanks. How many times when we're facing something tough, we don't give thanks, we give complaints. The night before cancer surgery, why did this happen to me? Why do I have lung cancer? I've never smoked. Why am I battling cancer? I've lived a healthy lifestyle. Why this? Why that? And yet, on the worst night of his life, Jesus gave thanks. He says, he broke it, and he said, now watch this. There's two words here that I want you to miss, because this is really what I want to really hone in on right now. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is, say the next two words out loud. 
Say it very loud for you. Listen, look, listen, look at me. Read my lips. From the time Jesus was born to the time he died, everything you read in the Scripture, everything you read in the Gospels, every lesson that he taught, every miracle that he performed, every person that he healed, every sick person that he touched, everything he did was for you. It was for me. Do you realize that from the time he drew his first breath to the time he drew his last breath, Jesus never once did anything for himself. Everything was for you. He was born. So if there's any children in here, boys and girls, why was Jesus born? So we could be born again. He lived for us. Why did he live for us? So we could live like him. He died for us. Why did he die for us? So we could live with him. And then, cherry on the cake, the coup de grace, he was raised from the dead. Why was he raised from the dead? He did all of that to take the fear of death away from us. Everything Jesus did, everything was for you. Everything was for me. And if you ever really get this in your mind, that Jesus didn't come for his benefit, he came for ours. That Jesus didn't need to come for himself, he needed to come for us. When you finally get this in your mind of exactly what Jesus did, of the price that he paid, he leaves heaven. You know who he was in heaven? He was the hero. He was the hero. He was the man. And he comes to earth. And he becomes just like us. Just exactly like us. So you could put a crown, on, a thorn on, on his head, and he would bleed. You could flog him and beat his back into ribbons, and he'd almost pass out. And you could nail him to a cross and put him through the most agonizing death that anybody could ever go to. And do you understand when all that was going on, the angels in heaven were looking down the whole time, shaking their head, thinking, what are you doing? Because the apostle Peter later said about salvation, even the angels looked into salvation and, and what it says, I'm paraphrasing, still can't believe and didn't understand what in the world is going on. I'm telling you right now, it's not in Scripture, but I'm gonna, I'm, this is kind of a, a merit thought. When Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. If you even try to take my life, I can call a legion of angels to come and take you out. I guarantee you when Jesus was dying on that cross, Gabriel went to God and said, please let us go. I got the SWAT team ready. Don't let him go through this. I get chill bumps thinking about this right now. He did that for you. He did that for me. Oh, and by the way, in spite of the fact you didn't deserve it, neither did I. 
And when you finally understand what the grace of God, listen, you know what this bread and this juice is all about? It's about the grace of God. That's all it's about, the grace of God. That's why Jesus said, when you do this, you do this in remembrance for me. For I received the Lord what I passed on to you. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. I did it for you. Then he said, do this in remembrance of me. Here's what he really said. Don't you forget this. Don't you ever forget what I did for you. My, um, one of my heroes, as you can imagine, is Charles Spurgeon. So a lot of you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, and that's to your loss. Charles Spurgeon started pastoring in London when he was 19 years old. It's unbelievable. This is back in the 1840s, 1850s. Started pastoring and preaching in, in, in London. 19 years old. Pastored Metropolitan Tabernacle. When I went to London, the one thing I wanted to go see was Metropolitan Tabernacle. It's just a shell of itself now. But I wanted to go to Metropolitan Tabernacle. This 19-year-old boy, built a church. This is 1840, 1850. Built a church that ran 6,000 people. So many people wanted to hear him preach. Listen to this. You know how, you know, we don't have Sunday night church anymore, and I'm not going to get on that soapbox. We don't have Sunday night. It's hard enough to get people to come on Sunday morning. They had Sunday night church. But you couldn't go to Sunday night church unless you were an unbeliever. Think about that. If you were a believer, you couldn't get it. You couldn't go. You know why? Because so many unbelievers wanted to hear him preach in that massive tabernacle that that was strictly for unbelievers. His sermons have been published more than all the other preachers in the world put together. The Queen of England wanted to have an audience with Charles Spurgeon. The sad thing about Spurgeon was he had gout. He always suffered with gout. He died when he was only 54 years old. He had a place in France he would go to to try to recuperate. And the day that he died, his wife was sitting by his side. He hadn't said anything for a while. He was almost dead. And as a lot of people do, he kind of rallied a little bit toward the end of his life, just before he drew his last breath. And the last words that Charles Spurgeon said were four words. Jesus died for me. Never forget. He said, you do this in remembrance of me. And then, let's put that scripture back up on the screen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let me just stop right there. We read the word covenant, and we think about the word commitment. Covenant's much more than a commitment. Teresa and I were in Gatlinburg uh, this past weekend. We did a marriage retreat. Had about, uh, about 400, about 200 couples. And we were, were talking about, you know, marriage. And, and, and you know, and, and there were a lot of troubled marriages up there. And we had a great retreat. But I was talking about, this, the, about marriage. And, and, and I want you to understand, if you're not married, you really need to hear this. And if you are married, you need to be reminded. We get this idea somehow, I don't know where we got it, that marriage is kind of like a commitment. And, you know, once you get tired of the commitment, all you got to do is just kind of get uncommitted, right? So, you know, I, I, I put it this way. I, you know, one of the things I said was marriage is God's ideal idea. Marriage is God's ideal idea. Our problem is we take an idea, 
turn it into an ordeal, then we want a new deal. <laughs> Marriage is not a commitment. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant between you and God. And the only person that can break that covenant is God. You can't break that covenant. That's why God hates divorce. Because no matter what the reason is, divorce breaks the covenant. He hates it. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my book. I'm making a covenant. When God makes a covenant, it's unbreakable. We've all made promises we can't keep, right? How many of you made a promise you didn't keep? Hold your hand up. Come on. If you're lying if you don't raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand. We've all made promises. But when God makes a promise, God keeps it. So we did a Q&A at this marriage retreat. I was really kind of surprised. One of the questions I got at this marriage retreat we did, uh, finished up yesterday was, do you believe once saved, always saved? Great question. And there were people that didn't believe that. And so I, I, to be quick, I simply gave a very quick explanation. I said, yes, I believe, but I'd like to add a word. Once truly saved, always saved. So I don't believe in once saved, always saved. He said, what do you mean? Not everybody that says they're saved is saved. We, I guarantee you, I've baptized thousands of people. I promise you, I've baptized people who weren't saved and not saved. I don't know who is and who isn't. I just know I'm saved. But I said, once you're truly saved, you're always saved. And I said, let me tell you why I know you're always saved. Because your salvation doesn't depend on what you do for God. It depends on what God has done for you. And God made a promise. In fact, Paul put it this way. He who began a good work in you will finish it till the day of Christ. God started a work in me when I was nine years old in a theater about 30 miles from here. And God's going to finish that work because what God starts, God finishes. But this is a covenant. This is a covenant. What we're talking about here is a covenant. What does that mean? What's the promise? Here's the promise. The promise that Jesus is making is this. If you're qualified to take this up, we're going to talk about that in a moment. If you're qualified, and not everybody is, but Jesus said, if you're qualified to take this, there's one thing. You can go to bed tonight and you can rest easy. You are going to heaven. No matter how, you're going to fail. You're going to blow it. You're not going to be perfect. Not always going to do what I want you to do. Sin's a part of the deal. We get it. But I made a covenant, and I'm not going to break my covenant. This covenant is in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, he comes back. Don't ever forget it. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. Now watch this. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me just tell you, get this in your mind. What we're about to do in a moment, when we take the Lord's Supper, you're not just taking the supper. You're not just going to take this little piece of bread and eat it and eat this little cup and drink it. You're not just doing that. Every one of us is about to become a preacher. You're preaching to me, I'm preaching to you. You're preaching to the person sitting around you, behind you, beside you, in front of you. And what you're saying is, I'm a part of God's family. I'm under the covenant. His body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And that's why he goes on to say this. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. When Teresa and I were coming in today, we, we, we came to church together today, which was so sweet. When we came to get church, I, I said, hey, read this passage to us out loud. So, so she's reading this passage out loud. And so we got to that part. She said, hey, what does that mean? 
you know, whoever eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. I said, well, first of all, I don't know all it means, but I'll tell you this, I don't want to do it. Whatever that is, I don't want to do it. He says, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And he says, everyone ought to examine themselves when they eat of the bread and drink the, from the cup. So what did he mean? What does that mean, take it in worthy fashion? And I've told you this before, but I want to remind you. What he was not saying was, now you examine yourself, and if you don't think you're worthy, then you don't take it. Well, number one, if that's the criteria, nobody takes it because nobody's worthy. We don't take the Lord's Supper because we're worthy. We take the Lord's Supper because he's worthy. However, what he said was, don't take it in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? Real simple. What it means is, and this is why I'm so great every now and then take the Lord's Supper. You better make sure as you examine yourself and you let the Lord examine you. You better make sure that you are right in every area of your life. If there's ever a time that your hands ought to be totally clean and your head ought to be totally clean and your heart ought to be totally clean, it ought to be right now. So, you got a grudge against somebody, you got to get rid of that grudge or you don't take the supper. You got this little secret sin in your life nobody knows about, pornography, bitterness, anger, lust, jealousy, greed. You got this little pet sin, you got to kill that sin today. This is that one time where God says, okay, I want you to take it but you got to be clean first. So then he goes on to say this. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Teresa and I were coming in today, and I'm gonna, we're going to close this. We're going to take the supper. I was thinking of someone right now. I'm thinking of them right now. You would never know who they are. I don't think they would either. They're not right with the Lord. They cannot be right with the Lord because I know they're not right with certain people that I know. But I'm absolutely convinced if they were here, they would take the Lord's Supper because it's not even on their radar screen. Where they are spiritually, what they've done, not even on their radar screen. And again, I'm not preaching judgment on anybody. I'm not asking God to put fire on anybody. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm saying this. And I'm not trying to hype this. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. But there's two things I won't do. There's not enough money in the world to pay me to do two things. I would never, ever get up here and preach if there was egregious sin in my life. I'm going to be very blunt with you for just a moment. We all know of preachers, some of them famous preachers, TV preachers, worldwide known preachers who were living in adultery while they were preaching. You, you couldn't pay me enough money to do that for two reasons. Number one, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Number two, I'd be afraid you might be the first church in history to see God kill somebody in the pulpit. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. I, I, I just, I'm not going to do that. 
And the other thing you couldn't pay me to do is to even think I might be doing this when I know there's sin in my life. So I don't say this to brag. I'm not, I, I just, but I feel like I ought to set the example. If there's any sin in my life right now, I don't know what it is. Now, I'm not saying I have a sin. I sin every day. But as, as of right now, when I got up this morning, I'm thinking, I mean, I mean this is, when, I, when we do the Lord's Supper, it's a big Sunday morning to me. Because it reminds me again, buddy, you better be clean. Every part of you better be clean. You better, I mean, there can't be a speck of dirt on your hands, your head, your heart. You're about to do this. You're about to take the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, and Paul said through Jesus, whatever you do, whatever it means, don't you sin against my body, don't you sin against my blood. Yes, sir. I, I, sir. And so I literally go through God's washing machine. And even as I was driving to church, and even as I sat in my green room, I'm going to go, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Is there any wicked way in me? Is there something there I haven't seen? Something there I haven't smelled? Something there I haven't sensed? Is there anything? And I said, Lord, don't let me go out there. If there's even a speck of an ounce, of an iota, of a fraction of dirt and sin in my life, don't let me go out there until I'm clean. I'm clean by the grace of God, not by, me, by, by the grace of God. My question to you before we take the Lord's Supper is this. Are you clean? Now, if you're not a believer, I want to go ahead and say this. If you're not a believer, if you're not sure you're a believer, you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. This is the Lord's Supper for the Lord's people. It's for His family. This is a family supper. And you've got to be a part of God's family. We'll talk about that in a moment. But if you're a part of God's family, I'm going to say to you in just a moment before we do this, okay, we're going to do what Paul said. Paul said, examine yourself. It's not my job to examine you. Not your job to examine me. It's your job to examine you. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you, listen, this is just you and God. It's not you and your wife, not you and your kids, not you and your brother or sister. It's you and God. Here's what I want you to do right now. In your heart, I want you to say it just right out of Scripture. Here's what I want you to say. Search me, O God, right now and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Just think. Just be quiet. Just be still. Don't worry. If there's something there, you'll know it. God will tell you. The Spirit of God will tell you. And by the way, he'll be real specific. If you just have kind of a, well, I just kind of feel guilty. That's not from the Lord. No, he'll be specific. So, for example, <clears throat> while you're just sitting there thinking, you're married are you right with your spouse? You're a son or a daughter. Are you right with your parents? How about your pocketbook? Have you honored the Lord with your finances? Have you let jealousy or bitterness or greed consume you? Is there somebody you haven't yet forgiven for what they've done to you? And before I pray and then we take the supper, 
I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is so important. The one thing you better not do is this. And I've had people tell me they did this. Do not do this. Well, no, I'm, I've got this person I haven't forgiven. But you know what? I, I just don't, I just can't forgive them, so I just won't take the supper. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. That's satanic. Because I want to tell every one of you today the most important part. You're listening to me right now on, on, on TV or you're listening to me right now through this internet. Listen to me. The most important thing you do every day of your life is make sure you're right with God, period. And Father, this is my prayer that people today will do business with you, whether they're in this building or watching by camera right now. This is my prayer that we'll do business with you. And we'll walk out of here, Lord, it, it, it's so refreshed spiritually, so rejuvenated, so revived. Lord, I believe that when we take this supper and people walk out, they won't see it, but they're going to leave behind grudges. They're going to leave behind bitterness. They're going to leave behind anger. They're going to leave behind jealousy. They're going to leave behind greed. They're going to leave behind selfishness. They're going to leave behind racism. They're going to leave behind hatred. They're going to leave behind pride. They're going to leave behind arrogance. We're going to walk out of here not just clean, but we're going to walk out of here free. So thank you for hearing our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, first of all, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. You know, it's one of those things that there's a lot of things in the Bible I wish I could have seen. I'd love seeing Peter walking on water. I, I, I just want to, there's certain things. I'd love to sit back and see Jesus take those loaves and those fish and feed those 5,000 people. That's, that's just a cool thing. See the baskets. But you know, I would have loved to have been there that night. I would have been brokenhearted, but boy, to have been there when Jesus himself, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he led the supper. And just to have sat at his feet and just to hear that word. So Jesus took the body and he broke it and he blessed it just as I bless it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we still can't even get a picture in our mind of how beaten and bruised and battered and bloodied your body was. And you did that for us. Thank you. Thank you a million times over for giving that precious, beautiful, heavenly body for us. We bless you and we love you in your name. And then Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my covenant in my blood. Christians are unashamed. Sounds crude to some people, but we're not just a people of the book. We're a people of the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, the apostle John said, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus made a covenant. He said, here's my covenant with you. 
If you'll trust me, if you'll surrender to me, if you'll give me your life, this is my covenant with you, I will forgive you of all of your sins. I will give you eternal life. I will come and live in you and you can live a life you never dreamed possible. And on top of all of that, either one day I'm going to bring you to me or I'm coming for you and we're going to live forever and ever. That is my covenant. This covenant is in my blood, and as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. And Lord Jesus, just like those millions of lambs that were slain, whose throats were slit so that blood would pour out, you were the Lamb of God that poured out his blood for us. We praise you, we bless you, and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you wonder why I do what I'm about to do every week, hopefully this explains it to you. The gospel is so simple. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. And what I'm about to say is true for everybody who has ever lived or ever will live. We are all born into sin. You know this. I've taught you this many times. You don't have to, peep, you don't have to teach your kids. If you're a parent, you know this. You do not have to teach your kids to do what's wrong. They'll learn that on their own. You got to teach them to do what is right. Why? Because we're all born with a sinful nature. We're all born to go the wrong way, not the right way. Because we're sinners, we need a Savior. We need somebody to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's why Jesus came. He came and lived a perfect life that we can't do. We want to do, but we can't. And he died a perfect death. And when he died that perfect death, he could take all of our sins because he didn't have any sins and he could pay for all of our sins. And to prove that God cast a check, God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He died for my sins. He was buried. He was raised again. And when he did that, he paid for my sins. And it's hard to believe, and a lot of people say it's too good to be true. But from that moment, God has held out his hand to a world and said, you want to be forgiven of all of your sins? Take it. You want to receive eternal life? Take it. Would you like to be a part of my family? Take it. Would you like to have a relationship with me? Take it. Free, just take it. Some of you have never done that. You substituted everything else. Religion, church attendance, baptism, good works, charitable giving, and all of that that you do, God's wrapped all of it up and dropped it in the trash can and said, it's just filthy rags before me. Because that won't pay for one second of your sin. But it's even better. You can't pay for what's already been paid for. That's the gospel. If you're in this room today and you didn't take this supper because you're not a part of God's family, you've never been born again, you've never received Jesus, or you're, in your, you're watching from your home right now and you say, man, that's me. I've never trusted this Jesus. I've never really given my life to Christ. I just want to give you the chance to do that right now. So I want to ask you again just one last time. Bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you say, 
well, I don't need to receive Christ. Maybe there's somebody sitting next to you that does or behind you or in front of you. Or maybe you're thinking about someone right now that does. That's your one. Would you pray for them right now? And if you've never trusted Christ, would you just do it right now? Would you just do what I did as a nine-year-old boy? Would you just pray this prayer right now to Jesus? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. But I do believe you died for my sins. I do believe that God raised you from the dead. I do believe you're alive right now. So I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my sins. I take you as my Lord. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for coming into my life. And now give me the power and the strength to live for you for the rest of my life. Now, all of you, look up here. You're in the building. You're looking at me. Look right here. Did you pray that prayer? Yes, Pastor, I did. Did you really mean it or just say, no, 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 I meant it. I want you to do one thing. You can do it right now, whether you're in your home sitting in this building. I want you to go to a website. We're going to put this up on the screen crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Just go to that on the website. Or, what's really easy, just text Jesus, all lower caps, to 678-255-2566. It's that easy. 678-255-2566. You just text Jesus. When you go there, it will tell you the steps that you need to take. We're going to help you do it to begin your walk with God. Now, let me just say, those precious kids that were baptized a moment ago, That's the first thing God wants you to do once you become a believer. Next next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to be baptizing Easter Sunday. Can you imagine? If I were being baptized, I I wish I could done. I wish I could take my baptism back in a way. I wish I'd been baptized on Easter Sunday. What a day to be baptized. What a testimony to be able to save the rest of your life. Have you ever been baptized? I was baptized Easter Sunday. If you'd like to be baptized next Sunday, let us know. If you just go to, that, go to that website or that screen, you'll be able to find a way. You just let us know. We're having two services, 9, 15, 11 o'clock. We would love to baptize you. Be thrilled to baptize you. Be a great thing for all of us. And that's why even what we've done today with the supper, how many people do you know that if you'd brought them to church today, they could have just, they just had to sit there. They couldn't participate because they're not a part of God's family but they can be if we'll share with them. So I want to thank you for coming. If you haven't yet made reservations, please make reservations for one of the two Easter services that we have because they're filling up quick. Please make sure that you do that for us. We're going to continue to worship our Lord. And by the way, if you're online, we notice we, we, we know how to track people. Sometimes you say, okay, service is over. No, service is not over. Because still the most, one of the most important parts, now we're going to worship the Lord that has done what he did so we could do what we just did. So would you stand to your feet right now as we continue to worship our Lord together? And I want to thank you today for coming.